Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like to read more about our community, join us at https colon slash slash org. Thank you for listening to our service, and God bless you. All right, good morning, church family. We are thrilled to have you here with us at Ackland Avenue this morning. I am not Justin Myrick. I was going to try and do my best Justin Myrick impression, but it's, it's early yet. Um, y'all, y'all don't need that in your lives. We're going to get started this morning with a reading from 2 Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha said, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at Jordan. Elijah took it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and the left, and the two of them passed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, tell me, what I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha said. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful to come together as a community in your presence this morning. Lord, I pray that as we read passages like this, that we will take solace in them. Uh, Lord, we know that you are faithful. Uh, Lord, we know, just like Elisha said to Elijah, that, that you will not depart from us. Uh, Lord, I, I pray um, that we can be like Elisha and say that, that we will never leave you either. Lord, be in our presence this morning as we worship. Uh, just speak to each person here. Uh, just Help us to to be the people in this community that you want us to be. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen.
695. 
The psalm reading this morning is Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From its beauty, God shines forth. Not be silent in the earth that he might judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. In the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful um, to wake up each morning and see the sunrise and all of the beauty in the natural world. I saw the daffodils blooming, and even though I know it's much too early for them to be blooming, there's still beauty in the color and in those blooms. And we, th- we are so thankful that you are still with us um, in this world. And we're thankful that we're able to see, even in the imperfections, um, your glory and your beauty. We also pray um, that we will wake up from our complacency. And as the sun rises and as the sun sets, we will also feel the urgency um, of doing your justice in this world. Like the people of Israel, we are also a people who have a covenant with you. And we pray that we will be faithful and will walk alongside you. We just want to lift up those that we know of who are suffering today. Um, We just pray for Ari, that you will heal his heart and his kidneys and just restore back to him the normal life of a 14-year-old boy. We also pray for our friends who are in cancer treatment. We pray for Stephen and Leanne and Debbie, and we're so thankful for those who have recovered. We also pray for Ray and Carolyn and Stina and Mark and Bonnie and Chuck and Stephen and Rachel. We pray that you will bless them and that you will, you will give them patience as they deal with their health problems. We also pray for the missionaries, for Jason and Emily and their family, and for Lindsay and Hawathaya and Byron and Snazana, that you will just walk with them as they are doing your work in the world. In your name we pray. Amen.
chart number 189, just one page over, 189. That would be the song after our lesson this morning. 189. Once you have that, we'll sing before the lesson number 271. 271. parents are here this morning, which is a really exciting thing for a lot of reasons. So uh, if you guys get the opportunity to say hello to them, please do, because they are really excited to be here this morning. Um, and so am I. So if you guys will stand with me as we read God's word this morning. Mark 2, Mark 9, 2 through 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. You may be seated. So when I was about 13 or 14, 
Uh, I played basketball, and some of my favorite memories of playing basketball were whenever my dad and I would actually go to the recreation center that was right by our house, and we would have these training sessions where it was just me and him because he'd coached basketball for a while and he was a coach as a profession. And so we would have these training sessions and one of the drills that we would do really focused on my shooting form, okay? And a, a key component of this drill was making sure that anytime I shot, my, my elbow was straight, okay? So he would throw the ball out to me and it was making sure that my elbow was straight as I was shooting, okay? And so inevitably, as I was shooting, my elbow would start to wing out and I would start doing that and he would always correct me. He, he, he didn't care how many shots I had made, if my elbow was winging out, he would always tell me to straighten my elbow back because these moments mattered to him because he was always focused on making sure that I was practicing the fundamentals of the game. The first and most important things that we learn in our hobbies, in our professions, in our skills are the fundamentals, right? Because these things are the primary principles and practices that everything else in that skill, profession, job are based on, right? To be a good musician, you must first know your scales. To be a good artist, you must know the seven fundamental rules of art. For my IT guys in the building, to be good at coding, you have to know data structures and basic syntax. I don't know what that means either. Um, my point is that fundamentals are vital to the success of any practice that we do, and that's because they're what everything else is built off. And so this morning, we are going to be practicing the fundamentals of Christianity because the main message of today's sermon and the main message of Mark's transfiguration account is this. Jesus Christ is God. That is the main message that Mark is trying to push here this morning. And that's, that's today's message because that's Mark's message with the transfiguration. And in fact, from this point in the transfiguration all the way back to the start in Mark 1.1, that has been what Mark has been trying to communicate to every single person who reads this book, even the people that he first wrote it to. Mark's audience were Gentile Christians who um, were there at the, the beginning of the church. And Mark's purpose for writing this gospel account is to tell these Gentile Christians this person that you are building, this institution known as the church, is the right person. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the one that we have been waiting on. And Mark makes that case from the very beginning of the book, starting in Mark 1.1. It plainly says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then from that point all the way up into the transfiguration, Mark makes the case of Jesus's identity as being the Messiah by showing that he has authority over all aspects of life. 
Jesus has authority over demons when he casts demons out. He has authority over sickness when he begins to heal people. He has authority over sin when he tells a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. He has authority over Jewish law whenever he begins to do work on the Sabbath. And he's challenged about that. He has authority over people with his teachings. When he teaches in the synagogue, people say, who is this man who teaches with such authority? He has authority over nature when he calms the wind and the waves and when he begins to walk on water. He has authority over death when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. He does these impossible things like walk on water and multiply bread and fish. Mark is making the point in all of these stories, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. And if you are not getting it yet, then you go to a mountaintop experience with the transfiguration. But throughout this entire story, both the crowds and the disciples are completely confused on who this man is. No matter the signs, no matter what is going on, they just can't get it. Until this one important moment where the disciples, and mainly Peter, start to kind of have an idea. So in Mark 8, 27 through 30, the, the group of 12 and Jesus are traveling through a city known as Caesarea Philippi. And as they're traveling, Jesus stops and he says, hey guys, who is everybody saying that I am? And so the disciples stop and they, they start to, to tell him, well, people say this, some say this, some say this, and then Jesus goes, okay, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And there's this really important moment where, where Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so in this moment, Peter gets the answer right. But later we find in Mark 8, 31 through 32, that Peter doesn't have the full understanding of what Jesus means as the Messiah. Because at this moment in Mark 8, 31 and 32, Jesus' identity is completely revealed to these men. And so he begins to explain what is going to happen to him. He says that the Son of Man will be um, tried by the elders, and that the Son of Man is going to be humiliated and murdered, but then he will rise. And, Je and Peter pulls Jesus to the side and he begins to rebuke him. But Peter's definition of the Messiah is much different than Jesus' definition of the Messiah. You see, Peter thought the Messiah was going to be this military conqueror who would free Israel from Roman oppression. But Jesus says, actually, the Messiah will be someone who will be humiliated, murdered, and then raised in glory. Jesus completely flips what Peter believes the Messiah will be and to, to make his point incredibly clear that Jesus knows what he's talking about, he takes Peter and some other disciples to a mountaintop. Now, what's important in Mark's book is that the transfiguration acts as the first culminating statement about Jesus' identity. The second culminating statement will be the crucifixion and the resurrection, but this is the first time where readers and the disciples say, okay, wait, hang on, I'm starting to understand. And the disciples need this mountaintop experience of seeing Jesus' glory because 
after this point, after they leave the mountaintop, they will enter into the valley of Jerusalem where they will watch their friend, rabbi, and lord humiliated, tortured, and murdered before their eyes. The glory experience is crucial for what they are about to experience in the wilderness of Jerusalem. And so the transfiguration is a crucial moment for the disciples to understand the basic truth that Jesus Christ is God. And so there are four ways that Mark communicates that message. The first one being with verses 2 and 3. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Okay, so we first have this dazzling white imagery. And I know that we, we read this and we're like, okay, like, duh, that's God. But I think that's because we have so, with centuries of, of Christian art that displayed Jesus as this dazzling white figure. So in a way, we have seen that Jesus is this dazzling white figure, okay, with clothes and, and you know, but the disciples would have connected what they were seeing with the God that they had heard about from their scriptures and the descriptions of God that they would have heard about in their scriptures. Listen to this description from Daniel 7, 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of his took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. Listen to what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 1. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he was glowing. He was like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. What Mark describes the disciples seeing matches the description of the same God that the prophets saw. And Mark is making this point here that the person that is before them is not just some really holy human. The person before them matches the description of the God that they have been hearing about since the beginning of time. He is not a really holy human. He is God in the flesh. The second point starts in, second and third points start in verse 4. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Okay, second is the appearance of, of Moses and Elijah. All right, you guys know how you, you, have, you have these friends who they keep talking to you about other friends they have. They're like, oh, dude, me, one time, me and, you know, so-and-so, we were doing this. Dude, you got to meet them. You have to meet them. And then that fateful day comes where you meet the friend that they keep on talking about, and they're like, this is the guy. This is the guy that we've been talking about. Okay, that's exactly what's happening here. Moses, the greatest figure in the promised that one day there will be a prophet like him that comes. And so Moses' appearance is almost an endorsement that Jesus is the prophet that Moses was talking about. Listen to Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. The Lord said to me, 
What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Okay. Moses' appearance acts as an endorsement on Jesus' behalf, and, and he's saying that this is who both God and I were referring to. This is the prophet that I wrote so long ago, he's finally here. Now, Elijah's presence is equally important, but it's also slightly more confusing. So, in ancient Jewish thinking, there was this expectation that an Elijah figure was going to come at the end of the present world order. And this Elijah figure was going to announce that God's kingdom was coming. And so this person, his job was to announce that God's kingdom was coming and he was to prepare the people for God's coming kingdom. And so a little after our text concludes, the disciples start to walk down the mountain with Jesus and they're confused because they thought that this Elijah figure was supposed to be coming before the Messiah. And see this interaction to them, it makes them think, well, you guys have come at the same time, so I don't understand how you can be the Messiah. But Jesus explains that those two figures have not come at the same time. As they're walking down the mountain, Jesus tells them that an Elijah figure did come. And readers are supposed to make the conclusion that the Elijah figure was John the Baptist. You see, he announced the coming kingdom of God. He prepared the people for God's coming kingdom by preaching the good news and telling people to repent through baptism, okay? So Elijah's appearance to Jesus is meant to communicate that Jesus is the one who is bringing the kingdom of God with him. And then finally, the fourth way is what God says in verse 7. He covers the disciples in a cloud and he says, this is my son whom I love. If this statement sounds familiar, that's because these are the same words that are repeated in, in Jesus' baptism in Mark 1.11. He says, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And this is the greatest and best endorsement of Jesus' identity because this is an endorsement from God saying, this one that is before you is mine. So all four of these details are a clear indicator that Mark is saying Jesus Christ is God. This guy before you is not just a really good teacher. He's not just a really good man. He's not just a prophet or a really wise guy. He is God in the flesh and he has visited us. And I think that this is an important moment for us as Christians today to stop and pause and ask ourselves the question, is Jesus Christ my God? You know, you can believe that Jesus Christ is God, absolutely, but is he the God of your life? Is, is he in the primary spot? Is he what we're worshiping? And I think that this text forces us to, to take a step back and ask ourselves that question because as Americans, it's easy for something in our daily life, in our very busy daily life, to take all of our time and our attention. And so this replacement that happens is, 
typically subtle um, and unintentional, but as Christians who are serious about our faith, we must take a step back and look at the hierarchy of priority. And if we see that things are not in the right order, the hierarchy must change. And usually what causes us to realize that the hierarchy of priority is not stacked right is an encounter with the glory of God. Because when we are faced with God's glory, we are overwhelmed. And we recognize that everything else that we have been worshiping up to that point means nothing when it is compared to the glory of God. And I think this, this overwhelming sense of glory is, is shown in Peter's response. I think Peter's response to God's glory is perfect because it captures the essence of how humans respond to something that is overwhelmingly great. Okay, look at this, five and six. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love verse six. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Peter doesn't know what to do. But he feels the need to, to do something. He feels the need to contribute something. And so he suggests that, that they build some sort of shelter. And scholars have different ideas of what this shelter word and suggestion means. But one thing is incredibly clear. Peter wanted to capture and prolong this experience of experiencing <coughs> the glory of God on the mountain. That reminds me of, so my family and I, we did this huge out west uh, road trip when I was like five or six. And one of the places that we stopped at was the Grand Canyon. And like, okay, when you, when you pull up to it and you get out of the car, you're like, oh, I know why it's called the Grand Canyon now. Cause you're like, I mean, that's just un unbelievable. So it's kind of funny cause like, Everybody's out of the car. We're all looking at this massive, overwhelming thing, and we're like, I gotta do something about this. Like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with, with my body. I'm not sure what's going on. And so, what does everybody inevitably do? Well, at that time, everybody was like, I guess I'll just take a picture of it. I don't know, and then I'll never look at it again, right? So everyone is trying to, to capture the immensity of what they were seeing. In other words, when human beings are faced with to respond, respond in this text is not a bad idea of responding, was just a little bit off. But look at what God does, okay? He, he sees that Peter wants to respond, and so what does he do? He gives him a way to respond. Verse seven, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. In this, God is giving Peter two commands. He's saying, number one, recognize who is before you. Recognize the glory of Jesus Christ. And then when you do, listen to him. This is like God is saying, okay, Peter, you want to respond? Here's how. 
And we find that the proper response to God's glory is to listen to him. Because we realize that he is far greater than we could ever be. And that brings the full statement of today's message. Jesus Christ is God, and we must listen to him. What's funny is, as Americans, uh, listening in general is hard. And listening to Jesus is even harder. You know, our lives are, are busy, and they're fast, and they're loud. They're full of, of music, and podcasts, and audiobooks, and crying kids, and complaints from coworkers, and meetings, and ball games, and phone calls. Our lives are busy and fast, and finding quiet time to sit and listen to Jesus is difficult. And yet, it is expected of Jesus' disciples. And so, in the middle of our busy lives, we ask the question, hey Carter, that's awesome. How in the world do I listen to Jesus' voice? Well, I think as a church, we are actually in an opportune time to do that because um, after this, we're about to enter into the season of Lent, which is 40 days of, of prayer and fasting. And I wanna encourage you to fast from something that is causing a lot of noise in your life. I'm not sure what that is, but if there's something that is blocking you from being able to listen to Jesus, consider cutting that out. Or maybe your struggle isn't with listening, but maybe it's keeping Jesus in the primary. There's something other than Jesus depending on to get me through my day. What do you need to cut out to recognize God's glory in your life, to depend on Jesus completely and see that the God who created the world can get you. In both of these considerations, I'm really just encouraging you to give something up to become closer to Jesus. And that brings the close to the word today. Jesus Christ is God, and we must listen to him. Let's stand and sing. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, praise, grace,
Before our Lord Jesus Christ in death, he took bread, and after he had blessed it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. Lord Christ, allow us to see you as you truly are today. To hear the word of your Father and to contemplate the loss, the self-renunciation, and the emptiness that the glory would demand of you and of us. By your mercy, hear us. Amen. Let us pray. For this gift of your blood, we thank you, Christ. And we ask, as we take it, that we will become more of you in this world and embody your presence uh, as you have come to embody in the world. Have mercy on us, forgive us, keep us in everlasting life. Have mercy on us, in Jesus' name, amen.
Closing reading is from 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let us shine light, let, sorry, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've had this morning, uh, for time together to worship, to think about your word. We pray that um, as we go out this week, that uh, Jesus is in us and uh, shines light to the world around us. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Morning, church. Got a couple announcements here. Thanks again, Carter. 
um, man, isn't it great to see like young people take up the call to ministry? Like that's fantastic. Like, it, man, God is alive, y'all. Um, it's hard not for me to be excited as a preacher's kid, especially. I'm like, yes, let's go. Um, so, uh, happy birthday to Zora, who is not here this morning, sadly. Um, so, send her texts or whatever you do. However, however you send messages across the things, um, do, do your stuff. Um, uh, smoke signals. No, no smoke in my yard, perhaps. Um, so no fires in my yard. Happy birthday, Liam. I was trying to think of like 18, you know, like smoking cigarettes, meh. Um, dip, gross. Um, scratch, scratch offs, kind of exciting, but kind of a waste. What? Oh, you can vote. You can vote. I think you can go to rock shows too. You can go to rock shows now, which is, that's a, that, that may be a, so Liam's very creative. He'll figure it out. Um, so anyways, happy birthday. Um, what else we got here? Winterfest is coming up. We are having a meeting after class. So if you're a parent or a kid going, don't run off after class. Um, like, slow, slow it down for a minute and, uh, and, and find Austin. We'll meet in the teen room. We'll meet in the teen room. That's the, you know, the one next to the cave, right? Yes, okay. Um, I, I was like... It's funny, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> There's some, um, I'm, I'm losing it here. Um, so, yeah, anyways, there is a Super Bowl party tonight for the youth group. Uh, it is here at the church, so um, see, see directions on here. Uh, and there is a care package for the Millers. We're trying to get some stuff together. You know, in Tanzania, there's just like weird stuff, like ranch dressing or something like that that you can't get it's just it's hard to get there so we send them a care package every year you guys have some some of you have been around long you know you know you know how this goes um so if if you'd like to help we'd love your help um and there's just a reminder here that kind of starting pretty soon um i mean this wednesday actually um lent's going to kick up and here at Ackland, that looks a little bit like however, um, you know, but there will be um, meetings here at the building every Wednesday night. We'll do the normal kind of brown bag thing to start, um, and then there will be kind of just like, a, it'll be kind of like a quiet, more contemplative kind of thing up here, um, and uh, it, should be, it should be great. Uh, and just a reminder, it looks like work camp is coming again this year, so huzzah. Um, chance for our kids to learn to paint. So, if they haven't, um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else? Well, dead silence means good things, kids. There's coffee and donuts downstairs. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.